Triple HFM Sports in association with Atlas Chartered Accountants, HK Post, Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports welcomes you to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Here's your host, the raging bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the HK Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso with you tonight and we are very excited to bring you a new format for our end of year show. It has been a very special occasion as we celebrate the best and worst performances. So much so that we have named each one accordingly over two weeks. Tonight, we are proud to announce the nominations and awarding of the worst in sports for 2021, the inaugural Triple H Sports Wood Ducks. A whole host of nominations and our eventual winners. This will not be boring. And to help me through it, we have two of the best to go through the worst of what happened in sport. First off, he is my trusty ally in crime when it comes, especially when it comes to football and Formula One. He is the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. Good evening to you. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, listeners. Good to be here to see out the year. We hope you're all safe and sound despite another uh, spike in coronavirus cases. So hopefully we can cheer you up whilst you're, you're locked indoors once again for another Christmas with some funny nominations and awards uh, are you, to are you suited up give tonight? out. I am, you... I'm suited up in the only way that the spicy chorizo can suit up, which is shorts and no shirt. <laughs> so you've, you've got your halfway towards your birthday suit, and we should note it was your, your birthday very recently. As it well. was just over the weekend. I turned the ripe old age of 28, and I celebrated it in good fashion by ignoring all public health orders and partying in the city. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's good to know that you did party in a safe manner because we all know that your antics on Conception Day at Macquarie University is the stuff <laughs> of legends, Dom, isn't it? <laughs> that one year, it, it definitely was uh, one of the better performances that was uh, produced on that uh, fateful afternoon into evening. <laughs> well, joining us tonight, uh, he makes his return on uh, Splinters here. I know he is very, very dapper looking tonight, and he is ready to give it his all as we go through the Wood Ducks here. Ariane Shah, good evening to you. Well, if you didn't, well, because you told me like so recently, I was almost about to come in my pajamas, but luckily I thought otherwise. Um, it's my third straight Splinters, and I'm really looking forward to the biggest piss take of 2021. Absolutely. Well, I think, Dominic, that could not be a better description of what tonight is really going to be like, isn't it, with our inaugural Wood Ducks. Nail on the head. I uh, couldn't agree more with uh, yourself there, Caruso, and uh, Arian. Lovely little coin phrase you have there. I think it's time we uh, get into it and uh, get the show on the road. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are all dressed up in the in for the occasion, and not only that, but we are doing this, of course, Dom, in the proud tradition of Ange Postacoglu. We do welcome the scrutiny, don't we? We love the scrutiny. We're all about opinions here and listening to all opinions and then scrutinising them when they come. Absolutely. Well, with that lovely chime in the background, let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the Wood Ducks, and this is Splinters. <laughs>
We're going to kick things tonight here. And Ariane, what is the first award that we are giving out tonight? Yeah, so the first award is the Lance Armstrong Orchard Award for the biggest juice up of the year. So our first award tonight is in honor of Lance Armstrong, who participated in the most well-known drug cheat event in history, with all these Tour de France awards ripped away from him after being exposed as a drug cheat. So the first nomination is the Russian Olympics team. Fresh off major questions around the performance of the Russian Winter Olympics team at the Sochi Games in 2014 and then Rio in 2016. The Summer Olympics, the All-Russian Athletics Federation came under intense scrutiny with regards to its drug policy. This finally, this finally caught up with them last year, came to full impact this year, with all Russian individual athletes banned from competing under the Russian flag ineligible to compete unless they submitted to a drugs test prior to competing. Well, I coined the phrase uh, during the Olympics this year for the Russians Olympic team because it came up on TV screens as ROC. Now, uh, you know, people saw that as the Russian Olympic community. I saw it as the Republic of Cheats, um, which I think should have been coined more often uh, via uh, our broadcasters um, during the... the, uh, the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics earlier this year. Surprisingly, funnily enough, Russia didn't do all that great flying under the the ROC uh, flag this year and uh, probably because they weren't all juiced up for the first time in, uh, in, a, in a century. Are they my number one pick? Well, potentially. We'll think about that uh, as we go down the list. I've got one I'd like to put forward, though, uh, Crusoe, as part of our uh, second list. It's Mr. CJ Ujar, who was part of the UK sprint team. Now, CJ was one of six anti-doping violations that occurred at the Tokyo Olympics in 21. Ended up being the biggest name to be brought down by a drug violation. This occurred from his participation in the 4x100 relay, which Team GB won silver in. And actually, famously, they led the race until the final moment, until the Italians uh, sprinted home to win gold. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The violation was <laughs> maybe a bit of a foreshadowing to uh, the Euro final too. The, the Team GB stripped of that silver medal. Entire quartet brought down under investigation and um, later confirmed that it was only Uja who was banned as a substance, which makes it even worse because um, you've now jeopardized your, your team's chance of winning a, a medal. The drug that they found was Osterin and S23, S23, um, which uh, are relatively quite well-known uh, doping drugs, if, you, if you're in the know. One of, you know, I think one of the most selfish acts uh, when it comes to drug cheating because it, you can ruin your own career a little bit like uh, the person we're, we're back to speak to, but when you jeopardize the awards and rewards of your teammates, that's a, a whole new level of just pelican. Ariane, nomination number three. Yeah, so this is Sun Yang, and we've all heard of him before with his uh, doping in previous swimming events, but to do it again just makes you public enemy number one and really puts your career under the microscope and yeah he has to be one of the major contenders mainly because he's repeated the exact same mistake twice in not too much time in between and dom nomination number four yeah the last one for our nomination uh, for the, the Armstrong Award. Uh, one of the more comical events uh, involving drug cheats, US uh, middle distance runner Shelby uh, Houlihan was found guilty of a failed drug test in the lead-up to the trials of the Olympics this year. Um, she tested positive for uh, nandrolone, a popular anabolic steroid. What is comical is that she 
um, blamed it for uh, contaminated burrito from consumption. Oh, I'm, so- I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and then claimed that she passed a, a polygraph test when asked whether she was knowingly injected with uh, nandrolone. Uh, which we all know is inadmissible in a court of law. Um, another one you could throw from the Olympics uh, committee, which is a funnier drug doping one, which wasn't really her fault, but that's um, – I forget her name, but that American sprinter that got caught doing marijuana before the Olympic Games. And, oh, I heard about this, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then couldn't get to go. Um, uh, so I tell you what, I reckon that's not a bad shout-out too, but I think this one in particular – uh, as a Shikari Richardson, who was suspended for one month ahead of the Olympics after she tested positive for cannabis, um, is another funny one um, that you could throw in the mix too. But uh, sticking with uh, Miss Houlihan uh, for this one, and just purely because of her ridiculous cover story. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, four great nominations there. We should mention as well that our second place from this grouping did go to the Republic of Chile. Sorry, I'm sorry. I meant the uh, the Russian Olympics team. <laughs> uh, but the winner, and just because he is back for a second bite of the cherry, we have to give it to him. It is Sun Yang from the Chinese swim team. And I can tell you now, this is about the only time that Matt Corton would be celebrating Sun Yang taking the top spot in any event. Back to the Russian Olympic Committee just quickly. I watched a documentary called Icarus not too long ago, and it literally went undercover where the anti-doping agency was helping the athletes to um, kind of bypass a drug test. And that's when you really know... There's a problem with the country, its ethics and its organisation. So that was a really eye-opening moment and probably the start of where Russia is with its sport at the moment. Wow. Yeah, good. Very good input there and something I should probably get around to watching at some point there. Dom Rizzuto, award number two. You've got the opener on this. Thank you, Caruso. Yes, award number two for this year's um, uh, wrap-up of the year is the Greg Norman Award for the biggest choke of the year. And it's exactly how it sounds when we talk about choking Australian sports. There's only one person that comes to mind. Uh, We love his personality. We love his flair. I love his punditry when the... uh, major PGAs and Opens are on. He may be Australia's most successful golfer, but the great white shark, Greg Norman, uh, lays a genuine claim to the biggest choke we've ever seen, with two uh, coming to mind in 1986, uh, Saturday Slam, where he entered day four. Every major in the lead and won only one of them, and the 1996 US Masters. Uh, when he entered the final day with a seven-shot lead, ended up losing by five shots to Nick Faldo. Uh, tonight, we acknowledge those that aim to achieve this level of excellence in snatching defeat from the chores or victory, or in other words, we should say, uh, losing um, uh, losing out in victory uh, when they are already munching on their meals. Dom Rizzuto, nomination number one to you. Nomination number one to me. Look, I'm going to put forward one that uh, yourself and uh, uh, Keith Topolsky, our uh, uh, resident ice hockey fans, would enjoy. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, this was the year where they really, really uh, let themselves go. Um, it was supposed to be their year. Uh, end of the playoffs in 2021 Stanley Cup for the first uh, Cup first from North Division. Levon points with the likes of Pittsburgh, Washington, not fine behind Colorado, Carolina and Vegas. Um, they had arguably the easiest match at a lot of them as well, up against the Canadians, uh, sneaking into the playoffs with a lowly score of 59 points. A second biggest gap in matchups for round one of the playoffs. Toronto were expected to sweep this. Montreal snuck in a 
win in game one before Toronto won the next three, including two at Paul Bell Centre. Game five at home, no better way to end it. Nah, Montreal wins in overtime. That's okay. You think they can bounce back once again at the Bell Centre? Nah, lose again in overtime in game six. Surely we can finish it again at home. Nope. They go down again. Montreal wins 3-1 uh, in game seven to finish it off with Kerry Price only considering six goals from 108 shots in the last three games to dump Toronto out of round one. Oft, oft, oft. And that made me very happy to have seen that result come through. Ariane, nomination number two. Yeah, so this was one we kind of all didn't really see coming. The US women's football team. They've been making news headlines for the right and wrong reasons this year. The right reasons for their performance on the field, which were at times scintillating. The wrong reasons including their arrogant behaviour towards the opposition, which is why they choked the 2021, which was why they choked the 2021 Olympics, was all the sweeter for everyone. They came in as the number one ranked nation in women's football and had one just, and had just won the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup. They're expected to blast the rest of the competition apart. Instead, they produce a simply instant performance against Canada of all countries. We sink one nil and we're lucky to hold on for a bronze. A bronze that was lambasted internally. In fact, the team were rumored to have even considered doing what other teams would be doing in other sports and removing their medals once receiving them. I mean, what do you say to that, Dom? Like, we saw England do that, and we've seen a few US teams do that as well, where if they don't win gold, they remove the medal at the podium once they've received it. The US football team is is a funny one, isn't it, really, just as a sporting body in general? I think what they've done for the women's game in general for, for football has been immense. The success on the field, the revenue they drive, for the the sport itself within America, people turn up and they get fans and bums on seats when they play football. But there's this real arrogance about them too, you know. I and, and I've a pre and I really love their drive for change and uh, in terms of fighting uh, U.S. soccer around equal pay. But when they play, they're so unlikable. They're so arrogant, and they just. So, I mean, maybe it's competitiveness, and that's what you kind of like to see in sport. But there's a serious lack of respect for some of their other their other teammates uh, or other colleagues, I should say, um, from the different nations that are competing. Which I think makes it even more funny when they don't go and win everything, uh, because yeah. it it it's like they really throw the toys out of the pram when they lose. Yeah, but Dom, let me stop you there. Don't they? come from the United States of arrogance anyway. They just, <laughs> well, they, just, they uh, just think they're like the center of the world and nothing and no one else exists. And that's oh. why they're like the biggest global piss take and no one wants to be like them. That is, so that kinda, is too kinda good. kind of makes sense. That is too good. Dom Rizzuto, nomination number three. Yeah, look, uh, we're going to stick with football and I'm going to have to throw forward, of course, the men's uh, Belgium football team, the golden generation, the likes that have produced Romelu Lukaku, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois, Jan Vertonghen, uh, the list goes on, Toby Alderweireld, Yuri um, Tielemans, Moussa Dembele, Marianne Fellini, there's a whole load of them. Dana Carrasco, you could just name a whole bunch of world football stars which have 
put on a, a devil shirt in the last uh, few years, but they just haven't turned that into any success at an, at, a, at an international level. And it came to a heap this year and why we're throwing them in this year, because it's probably the last year where they'd be one of the favourites to take out the trophy based on the quality of players that they have, based on a team on paper um, due to age. They've got some serious, serious issues. Roberto Martinez was brought in to, do, to fix the job. But then they got worse when he came in. They were looking pretty good in the, the group stages of the of the Euros this year and then dropped to Italy in, a, in a, I believe, the round of 16 or the quarterfinals. I think it was the quarter the quarterfinals uh, in pretty embarrassing fashion too, um, where they were pretty much outplayed for the entire match. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll go again for the World Cup this year. They've probably got a chance in 2022, I should say, uh, of of maybe redeeming themselves, but it becomes a whole lot harder um, as those years go by. And I think, you know, they miss out again and, you know, we might be waiting a long, long time until Belgium has the quality that it's had in the last few years, especially for such a small nation. Continuing the proud tradition of Romelu Lukaku failing to score against any team in open pl- in open field play whenever the defence of Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Bonucci are playing together. He, he just can't too. do it. He just <laughs> can't score. Uh, Ariane, nomination number four. And a controversial one, this one. Kylian Mbappe, he was billed as the fastest striker in the world right now. And he's now positioned as a main man was a young, fast, and exciting French lineup. They won the World Cup in 2018 with genuine flair and excitement, and we're expected to do it again. However, in their round of 16 clash against Switzerland, the French copped off a 3-1 lead to draw 3-0 after extra time, with Mbappe missing four complete sitters that would have ended the match before losing on penalties to the Swiss 5-4. We missed a deciding penalty. You just you guessed it, Killian and Bathe. I mean, dear oh dear Dom, that that is a melt. That is a that is a choke if I've ever seen one of someone of his quality. I know it's harsh given his age, but Jesus, he should have done better in that second half. He did have a great uh, World Cup, but I think this uh, this nominations uh, is a little unfair on uh, the world's best, uh, one of the world's best at such a young age. He's a World Cup winner after all. He didn't have a great performance against Switzerland, but, you know, at the end of the day, I thought the French team choked together. Really, you could probably put France in along with Belgium uh, this year, but I think having won the World Cup back in 2018, they get a bit of a reprieve. Well, it is a lineup dominated by football, and while the Toronto Maple Leafs were in there or thereabouts throughout this competition, we have announced that the winner of the Greg Norman Award for the biggest choke of 2021 is the US women's football team. And I think, Dom, rightly so. Oh, I think so. I I, I think. And I mean, you can... Uh, I think just in general, they haven't had too many... They haven't had too many wins of late... Um, the Women's World Cup. They, you know, they didn't have great successes off it and they haven't had great successes on it in 2021. So I think a, a fair winner. We then move on to award number three, Ariane Shah. It is the John McEnroe Award. Who doesn't love a sporting meltdown? The first great meltdown artist, without a doubt, is the best in John McEnroe. So much so, there's now become part of a sporting cult culture. Something that the great man even takes the mickey out of himself for. A great meltdown just adds to the drama that sports can deliver 
and it really does share the worst of human interaction. This differs as well from the choke, as a sports star can choke and still be respectful. This is dedicated to a team individual who loses and then proceeds to carry on about it afterwards, or seeing an entire individual organization lose any sense of common sense. And the nominations are. So the first one, I'm really excited for this, the Collingwood Magpies. So the ceaseless meltdown starting in 2020, but started to come alive in 2021, with the commissioning of a report into racism within the club, started by Eddie McGuire and announced as a historic and proud day for the club, which was working towards addressing racism. I can't, sorry I laughed there, but I can't not laugh because of how paradoxical that is. Anyway, this respect was released in early 2021. This report was released in early 2021 and entitled the Do Better Report. Instead of announcing positive change, it saw the club collapse in ways we could only have imagined. Eddie McGuire resigned as president in February, compelled to do so after some poor remarks in the in the wake of the release of the report. A disruptive preseason with back office fighting and finger pointing saw Nathan Buckley resign as head coach, replaced by Robert Harvey, who proceeded to shun all the veterans at the club to give some of the kids a go, resulting in Collingwood winning only two of their last nine matches. The Collingwood fans, it marked their anus horribleus. For the rest of us, we just sat back, pointed, and laughed. I couldn't agree more with that, Dom, could you? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because in our AFL pre-podcast that we produced, uh, uh, obviously at the start of this year, um, I pointed out that uh, Collingwood's uh, season was going to go one of two ways. It was either going to fall in a heap or they'd use this uh, particular shortcomings to potentially kick on and have a strong season. But it it was all, they were always up against it in that matter. And uh, unfortunately for, you know, the likes of, um, you know, Nathan Buckley and those veteran players, it didn't go too well for them. But I think uh, seeing the back of Eddie Maguire for a little bit was, I think, uh, a sight for sore eyes for many fans of the AFL, which was quite nice. But I tell you what, if there was a break meltdown of any sorts, uh, one that came recently, this is one for you too, gents. Toto Wolf now has become infamous in folklore for Formula One, uh, not just for his obviously his great success that he's had with the, uh, the Mercedes team with the Silver Arrows, but with his final little outburst to uh, the racing director or racing control. Um, head Michael Massey when Mercedes were treated a little bit uh, harshly on the final day of the championship this year, which saw Max Verstappen steal um, a victory from underneath Lewis Hamilton's nose, um, essentially on the, I don't know how many laps there are, how many turns there are in the corner, but pretty much the fifth lap of the last, fifth corner of the last lap uh, to win it. And hearing things over the, the radio, um, him saying, no, Michael, this isn't right. Oh, no, you've you've ruined everything. It was really quite funny to watch him have an absolute meltdown on the day. Uh, and I definitely think one for, uh, you would call as uh, um, potentially being a bit of a sore loser. Absolutely. Uh, it was just, and I'm going to just point it out there, Dom, in terms of Lewis Hamilton losing a championship on the last lap, well, now he knows what it feels like. Hashtag justice for Felipe. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Ah, oh, boy. 
Ariad, nomination number three. Yes, yeah, so this is Sean Murphy. So in a sport like snooker, you expect certain lem- a certain level of decorum, certain level of class and tact. You dress well for the occasion. The mood in the room is harsh. Even the commentators are very hot, calm in their coverage. No space for Brian. Blessed to be calling snooker. Which is why <laughs> could, you imagine, could you imagine that? Don Brian blessed calling snooker. Uh, no, and I wish I could hear more often. <laughs> Carry on, Ariane. Which is why Sean Murphy gets a nomination here. Sean Murphy had the most amazing meltdown on social media after two, the 2005 world champion fought back from five frames to one down against Chinese amateur Xi Jiayu only to lose the deciding frame. A great comeback and incredibly unlucky not to take it. His reaction to it afterwards gets the nomination. After he went on Twitter with this, I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man, but that young man shouldn't be in the tournament. I feel extremely hard done by that I've lost to someone shouldn't have even been in the building. He played like a man who does not have a care in the world because he doesn't have a care in the world. I mean, this one was was a real hard one for me to not put forward as like an absolute outright winner because funniest story ever, right? It's like, imagine if like I got a wild card entry into the Australian Open and I managed to beat Novak Djokovic because he was having an off day and I had no care in the world. And then he blamed the Australian Open for letting me play. Like that's that that's the same like kind of like <laughs> scenario that Sean Murphy finds himself in. I mean, you were a professional. You you're gonna have to beat the amateurs, right? And even if he's an amateur, you shouldn't really be feeling the pressure in like the first round of the open, right? You should be you should be cakewalking it. That's why you're one of the best. Which I just thought was hilarious. Um in in general. And to come from a sport like snooker out of all things, like that's just what makes it even better. You'll find it uh, definitely comes from uh, sport. These kind of meltdowns comes from sports that uh, involve solo players. Uh, a bit like uh, next one that's uh, coming up, uh, what we've uh, put forward. I've gone with uh, Tiafimo uh, Lopez. Uh, the Americans uh, just hate losing to Aussies, as we know that. Uh, remember the Qatar smashing from the Sydney 2000 Olympics. Remember uh, Zeb Jadar's meltdown after she lost to Samantha Stoza. Um, no, no, no. It lost to Costa Zoo. Costa Zoo. Sorry, is it Joe Costa Zoo? Uh, I was about to say, that didn't make any sense. Uh, remember, Serena Williams, that's the one she had a meltdown against. Uh, uh, and again, as mentioned, serial meltdown artist um, against Sam Stozer in the US Open. Uh, we have another one on the list. Tiafimo Lopez uh, lost the opportunity to unify all lightweight world championships against Australian George Cambosis Jr. Lost on a split decision, although... Um, that decision was by one while the other two judges were emphatically in favour of the Aussie. Um, but it was Lopez's reaction and demand for a rematch that gets him the nomination after he claimed to have been robbed by the judges and demanded the rematch on US soil again. Roughly so, that was met by uh, Kambosa Jr. who said, if any rematch were happening, it happen in Australia only. Cost in front of 80,000 Australians, either at the MCG or the Olympic Stadium. Let's see if Lopez will put his money where his mouth is and actually face our new Aussie champion um, down under. Oh, you know, let's let's see if, let's see if he'll do it. Indeed, the last nomination, and oh boy, this is a beauty, Ariane. Yeah, so this is Liz Cambage. Once upon a time, Liz Cambage was described as successor to Laura Jackson, 
says of what could be achieved in women's basketball. However, it turned out reputation for shooting from the hip, blasting the standards that existed in the WNBL, made enemies for life at the Tulsa sh- Shock, getting into a Twitter flame war with Kurt Miller, and blasting China for lack of payments for her 400k a year contract. But it was where after a blow-up during her time playing for the Las Vegas Aces, she engaged in this war of words. Um, controversy resulted in wait, in this war of words with Kurt Miller, who was then found in a fight during massive parties in Las Vegas. Controversy resulted in Ken Barge accusing the Australian basketball setup of racism after she was involved in a fight with members the Nigerian women's basketball team with Cambodge then announcing her withdrawal from the Tokyo Olympics, signing mental health. She has now seen her basketball career take a backseat. She started up her own OnlyFans account, years in the making, now reaching its culminate. I mean, what do you say to that, Tom? This cabbage, I mean, is for mine the outright <laughs> this winner. Cabbage. <laughs> I like that. This cabbage. <laughs> um, she, she's just such a vegetable. Like, 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 so unlikable. You know, like no one wants to have a vegetable when I have a meal. Right? <laughs> just the stupid things. Thinks she's a legend. She's not a legend at all. Like, she's so unlikable. Like, from her, like, rivalry with Andrew Bogut all the way to the recent on-court kerfuffle that she had with the Nigerian team and then was caught out, like, out partying with them the next day. Like, just total narcissist. And, yeah, and then just to wrap it all up, she's got her own OnlyFans accounts. And by the Lord, if anyone paid for that, check yourself into a psychiatrist ASAP. Well, I've not seen, like... Someone show that much hubristic aggression before. It's quite amazing. <laughs> I, I indeed it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the award for this, it can only go to one person. It is Liz Cambage who has won the John McEnroe Award for the biggest meltdown in sports. And a bit of an up, a bit of a surprise, this one, given the talent, especially from the likes of Toto Wolf. Sean Murphy and Tiafimo Lopez. It was a great lineup. We now move on to our last award for the break. And Dom, I know you've had your eyes set on this award in particular. I have award number four. We've uh, named it uh, quite accurately uh, the Sergio Ramos Award for Shit Housery. Shit Housery is one of our favourite terms in general when it comes to unsportsmanlike behavior on the field calculated enough to cause a meltdown or cause a team or an individual to lose the plot but not enough to necessarily get you disqualified or sent from the field some call it gamemanship we'd like to call it shithousery adds a bit of spice to it especially given that some of these actions are purely awful and can be very funny at the same time and i'm going to nominate our first one as uh, the sydney roosters halfback Sam Walker who burst onto the scene this year and had a very good season as an 18 year old in the NRL at Bondi felt like he took the pressure of James Tedesco when he was playing Um, didn't get as much game time as he would have liked but um, was definitely good in those games that he did play including his best performance when he was playing I believe the Gold Coast Titans at the time and decided to run the ball backwards no the Bulldogs the Bulldogs sorry I think he didn't do it twice I swear he did it twice um, and he ran not just like 10 or 20 metres backwards, 
half a field, half a field out of play. I don't know, but he, what was so dumb about it all, <laughs> what made it even more funny, was he didn't run like out on the sideline. He ran all the way back over the dead ball line in the end goal. So I was like, he could have, he could have saved himself a breath and just ran sideways for tw- for 10 metres instead to run full length of the field almost just to end the game. Like, just, 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 just walk off the line over the side, mate. And in that way, you're, you're already walking towards the shed and the game's over. Uh, I just, I just thought it was hilarious. Um, and, and, uh, and a perfect way uh, to, to to wrap up a game against your arch rivals. Oh, that's that's just brilliant. Both times he did that, it was just it was cheeky as well. And then the Bulldogs against particular, I I think he actually kicked the ball into the stadium just to rub it in even further. Oh, was, hilarious! Was, oh god, Aria number two. Yeah, but moving on to Giorgio Cialini. So despite being age thirty-seven, King Kong took on the role of captain. Uh, of the Azuri during Euro 2020 and held it with distinction, finding leadership by example and displaying a level of passion beyond what you would even expect for Italians at a major event. But there was one moment that set England into meltdown for some of the moth on the verge of some of the ruthless play in a European final. At a pivotal moment of the match, Bakayo Saka was on the verge of breaking through the defence line um, from out wide on the right. But Cialini managed to get fistful of Saka's collar and pull him to the ground, even though the correct decision was made in terms of the free kicks. And Cialini receiving a yellow card didn't stop the entire English social media universe from going into meltdown for this act, with the vast majority claiming it should have resulted in a red card. Some say pure shit housery. I'll just say ruthless games. Which- I think it was brilliantly judged. Don't you agree, Dom? I think it was. It was. It was, it was pretty well done. Uh, he had. A, he just had a, a, a Euros to remember, didn't he, Keir Lady? He just did it. He just. He just ran the show, didn't he? And he remember called called Alaba a, a, a liar, a Sinestro during the the coin flip for the penalties against Spain in the semi final. He yanked uh, the collar of Saka when he would beaten him for all ends up and celebrated every block and clearance like he scored a goal. I love Keelini, honestly. <laughs> oh, number three, Dob. Uh, number three, we're going to uh, a man who we mentioned uh, just previously, uh, Mr. Michael Massey. Uh, it's not often that we nominate an official for an award like this, but we couldn't go past Mr. Massey for his epic trolling of Toto Wolf in the last race of the Formula One this season. Um, stuff of legend, uh, Michael Hansel, Michael's handling of that piece of uh, uh, of abuse from Toto uh, with sarcastic brilliance responding with, that's racing, we went racing, enjoy your day. Subtle yet brilliant. Whether the decision had been made correct is up for debate. What can't be disputed, however, is the amazing takedown that this was. It was just, it was brilliant. It was just, th- there was not a quiver in his voice either. The delivery was on point. Yeah, I know. So, um, so good. And the crazy thing about that is it's almost like neutral because he doesn't really he doesn't really have a kind of bias towards a decision or against it. He's just taking the Mickey out of both sides and the event as a whole. Oh, so it was just absolutely brilliant. Funny. Number four, Ariane. This is really surprising, but LeBron James has somehow made it onto this list. So LeBron James has earned the nickname King for a very good reason. 
uh, to his record over a long period of time with multiple NBA clubs. Um, but even the best are known to engage in pure shithousery. During a match between the LA Lakers and the Detroit Pistons, the Lakers were lining up for a free throw in their favour when LeBron in the usual tussle who lines up before the ball sinks off their shot clearly whacks Isaiah Stewart in the face with his elbow before shit-counting him even further. No remorse, no discussion. Just here's an elbow in your face. <laughs> That's brutal. That is brutal. He got him good. He got him good. I saw the image. He got him an absolute beauty. Uh, Dom, the last nomination before we go to our break. Yeah, make this a quick one because this is one that uh, happens quite often. It comes from the King of Shithousery. Jamie Vardy, once again, caught doing the Eagle celebration when he scored against Crystal Palace. He loves doing that as well. I mean, he did the ooh, Danish friends reference to the ins. Um, he's just he's just a cheeky chappy, isn't he? <laughs> ooh, Danish friends. <laughs> 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 oh, perfect. Uh, well, look, I mean, Michael Massey, I think, is a, is a very deserving second place in this. But the the Academy has voted, and it is quite clear the winner of this is Giorgio Chiellini for his shithousery at Euro 2020. Dom, I don't think you could give it to anyone else. No, he's, he was just full of it, and I loved it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have part two of the 2021 Wood Ducks. This is Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Stream it on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the HK Post, the Hornsby RSL, and ISC Sports. We'll be right back. It's time for the crew to catch their breath. We'll be back after this short break. Do you think the government deserves more of your hard-earned money? If not, make sure you talk to Atlas Chartered Accountants. Atlas Chartered Accountants makes sure the money you earn stays in your pocket through legal tax planning strategies, from finding that last tax deduction to tax-effective business structures for asset protection purposes so you can invest in what really matters, your family and business. Visit their website at ihatetax.com.au. Atlas Chartered Accountants. They are dedicated to you and dedicated station sponsors of Triple H 100.1 FM. Hornsby RSL Club, your perfect place to catch up with friends and family. With dining options ranging from modern Australian favourites in the courtyard, authentic Asian cuisine from Keku, or delicious wood-fired pizzas from Level 1, there is something for everyone to enjoy. Join us weekly for entertainment activities such as trivia, meat raffles, bingo and free live music, or grab some tickets to see one of our first-class entertainment acts in the showroom. Thinking of holding an event? Let our friendly events team guide you through every step to create the perfect event for any occasion. Visit our website at hornsbyrsl.com.au for further details. Hornsby RSL Club, proud sponsors of Triple H. Want to look your sporting best on and off the field? Then make sure you get kitted out with ISC Sport Teamwear. ISC Sport are Australia's leading name in custom sports uniforms with a wide range of sportswear tailored to your team's needs. 100% Australian-owned and fully customisable. ISC Sport cover all four winter codes and cricket, basketball, netball and hockey as well as training and outerwear, ensuring you look the part when representing your community. As Don Rizzuto would say, look sharp. 
up and play pretty with ISC Sport. Visit their website, iscsport.com, for more information. ISC Sport, official clothing partners of Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Welcome back to Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. Welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the HK Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. Anthony the Bull Caruso with the spicy chorizo, Dom Rizzuto, and our great friend Ariane Shah as we present to you the first of our Splinters Awards. We are looking at the worst of sports in 2020 It is the Triple H Wood Ducks. And we're going to move on to award number five. And it's a very special one, this, and I might have to explain this for everyone so they can get a bit of context with this before Ariane goes through the nominations. And it is the Connie Harris Award for the most anti-sport move by a non-sports individual. Now, everyone knows that we in Triple H Sports love Top Gear. We're not ashamed to admit that we've ripped this award straight from Top Gear, where they dedicated their love of hating Ken Livingston for everything he did to stifle motoring throughout Greater London. So we for the Anti-Sport Award. This is dedicated to a lady named Dr. Connie Harris, the head of the Friends of Brookvale Park and the person who has done more anti-sports action than anyone we know. Yes, indeed, more than Jenny Leong when she attempted to block the upgrading of Henson Park a couple of years ago. Connie Harris has not only put forward motions to stop the redevelopment of Brookvale Oval, she wants it torn down completely. Now, we know it has its issues, but it's a beloved part of the Rugby League tapestry and a mainstay of sports throughout Northern Sydney. So, Dom, we think it's only fair that Connie Harris be immortalised for her anti-sports stance. Absolutely. Couldn't uh, think of a better person to be uh, naming an award after. Ariane Shah, the nominations for the Connie Harris Award for most anti-sport move by a non-sports individual. Yes, the first one is Objectors Against Alverton Oval. Yes, Objectors Against Alverton Oval have received a nomination on the stupidest attempts desecrating sport. Member of the contingent attempted to protest the upgraded Alverton Oval, the training ground for the Port Adelaide Power, with a placard that read, Our Lives Matter, referencing Black Lives Matter, claiming that the training facilities upgrades shouldn't go ahead as it will split the community. What is even more incredible is that the organisation have not come out to distance themselves from the banner, showing that they really don't care who is in the firing line. I mean, this is just tactless, isn't it, Dom? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I don't, don't get it. How they I don't get are it. Being affected by a training ground upgrade, like it's not, it's not in their line of sight. It's not really affecting their everyday lives where they no. live. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> Honestly. Dom, number two. Moving on uh, to uh, what is uh, quite a common thing when it comes to sport. Um, people who don't know what they're talking about uh, saying something that they shouldn't. Uh, now, we all know that we've been living in difficult times. COVID is running rampant. But just sometimes you have to just stop and think about what you're going to say before you take off. Take Nicole Spurrier, for example, the Chief Health Officer of South Australia, who came out during the Delta outbreak uh, while South Australia was still considered safe and told people attending the AFL that they may need to avoid touching the ball 
if it was to leave the field. I'm not sure how they could possibly avoid it, given where football can often end up, especially with an AFL, because no one can really kick the ball properly. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, clearly, uh, she uh, thought better uh, than to um, than to, to speak her mind, uh, which uh, was, I think, now she looks back on it, a mistake. It was a dumb comment. It just didn't need to be made, honestly. I mean, who thinks that COVID travels across along a football? <laughs> I mean, it could, but the point of it was a bit. The point was it is kind of ludicrous because the players are tested frequently before they go on the field, so the chances of you getting it are really slim. Absolutely. And they had no active COVID cases in South Australia at the time. Ariane, nomination number three. Yeah, so this is Mike McGowan, and he has to be the biggest piss take of the pandemic. And I don't think anyone else is going to take that crown. So we then go from a chief medical officer to the premier of an entire state. You know he just has to be on the list, as I just kind of alluded to there. Mike McGowan, apparently a Fremantle Dockers fan. Well, that's more first inter- mistake. <laughs> he's more interested in making himself the emperor of Western Australia than allowing national sports to occur, requiring anyone playing professional sports to undergo 14 days compulsory hotel quarantine without any chance of leaving the hotel rooms to train. England cricket team, of course. We saw the Ashes test being moved. Health officials in full hazmat suits, deep cleaning, the goalposts after an AFL game. I, I, I don't want to say anything about this because I'm bored of people butting in where they have no knowledge. Just tired. I'm tired of it. It's been a year of me having to listen to people who feel like they have the need to have an opinion about something that they don't ever have to deal with. This is one of them. I think the response from the the governing bo- the sporting governing bodies has been I think says enough about the comments and the manner in which uh, certain parliamentary officials have gone about their work. And you've got the last nomination for this set. I do. I'm going to uh, move on to our last uh, nomination for you right now. And we're going to put it forward to someone very much like Jamie Vardy, who is no stranger to shithousery, but uh, Tash Peterson. Uh, is no stranger disrupting sports for the purpose of forcing her vegan views on everyone. Now, last year, she would have received a nomination and probably would have won it, but uh, protested during an AFLW match, which she promptly crashed tackled, promptly crash tackled um, this year after being denied re-entry into WA. Um, she was eventually allowed to return home and repay the favour by attempting to conduct a protest against Melbourne Cup by grabbing one of the reins of a horse race. Of a horse race, as a highly dangerous act, uh, only puts herself at risk, but uh, the jockeys as well. It's clear that uh, this girl doesn't really have any brains. Well, we all know what Tash Pedersen is like, and the only thing I can say is, geez, the ghost that she often ends up um, posing with would look absolutely beautiful on a rack right now. But she's not the winner. The winner is, by the length of the coronavirus pandemic, is Premier Mark McGowan. I mean, some of the, the the health cleaning of the goalpost, the deep cleaning in full hazmat suits was one thing. Telling Cricket Australia that any sixes during the BBL would require a compulsory changing of the ball, you're out of your mind, honestly. Dom Rizzuto, award number six, and this one is close to your heart, given your background. It is very close to my heart. Um, as a former... Uh, Sports media worker, this one is the Danny Wadler Award for sports journalists uh, who have done a very, very poor job this year. Uh, we have Triple H know that uh, we are complete amateurs. 
we do this for the love of sports, but we also know that there are some journalists and commentators that should be kept well away from doing anything with sports broadcasting full stop. They could even be biased, deal in simply pathetic reporting, or have complete inability to communicate what is going on within sports. Danny Wilder combined this all into one piece. That's why he's named uh, uh, this award. That's why we've named this award in his honour. And I'm going to start off with the first one. Now, I, this, one's, this one's a tough one for me because deep in my heart, I don't mind some of his commentary, but uh, we are going to put uh, Rugby League Supremo Phil Gould on there because you can't not think there's many casual fans out there that are very much over Phil Gould um, uh, and uh, and his uh, voice on, on, on Channel 9. Obviously, he's won players, premierships as players and a coach. One state of origin as a player and a coach. He's you know he's been the Supremo at the Panthers. He's now the Supremo at the Dogs. Um, he did a lot of work to get uh, the Panthers to where they are when they won the premiership this year. Um, but uh, his commentary sometimes reminds me of Michael Owen, and it's just kind of painful after a while. And he says, "Someone, a friend of mine once asked me, you know what they should do on TV remotes is they should have a Phil Gould mute button." So you just mute Phil Gould and nobody else. And that's just, I think, is the most hilarious. I think it just sums up uh, why he's been nominated uh, for this award. Ariane, nomination number two. Yeah, this is a really concerning one. It's not actually that funny. But Michael Slater, and dishonorable mention to Shane Warne, it continues to show the kind of bias we expect about Victorians, but Michael Slater raised the ire of not only the cricketing public with his god awful, over hyper commentary, his attempt to slag off the Australian government, the height of the COVID pandemic, but now having been arrested and charged twice with stalking. Do us a favour and take some time off. Oh, 100% Michael Slater has... Uh, I mean, he could have put him in the meltdown category too. should go in every year, category. The year that he had, but uh, we've nominated him for his uh, journalism and and broadcasting ability. Very strange. And then he went like he went off script and decided to be a, a commentator for, for non-sporting relations when he said that uh, the Australian government was, you know, letting uh, everybody down, as we mentioned um, prior. And that was strange as it was and really, I think, has done no favours to, to cricket or Australia and uh, has taken some much-needed time off, I think, um, whether that be in uh, his home or a jail cell. I think he might, I think he might enjoy uh, some time, uh, uh, spending some time at Her Majesty's Pleasure. So, you know, <laughs> but let's see what the court decides. Some urgent self-reflection is required from him. I, I couldn't agree more. Dom Rizzuto, nomination number three. Yeah, well, speaking of people are getting worse and worse, I've thrown in Brian Taylor as our next one. Um, he, he still can't uh, pronounce uh, Erasio Fantasia properly, uh, not Fantasia. Um, BT has uh, managed to, to tick off now former colleagues in Luke Hodge, Jimmy Pottel, Tom Brown. Uh, it's amazing that he's able to still do it after all this time. Uh, maybe because he always had Bruce uh, McAvaney, uh right next to him running for protection. Uh, maybe Seven is listening to this because uh, perhaps now he might need to bring in some new blood, blood to replace Taylor. And the thing is, I know he's had a hard year, but I actually don't mind Jimmy Bartell. I don't mind him at all. And the way Brian Taylor went off at him was just disgraceful. Yeah, but I, I rate all those other people. He, he's the only weak point in the commentary. And the number of times he, like, Lizzie's rocker or like 
gets facts wrong or can't pronounce people's names. It's amazing he's had that many chances to prove himself. Almost like Sean Marsh when he was playing for Australia. Oh, but, boy. Nomination number four, Ariane. Yeah, so Robbie Slater. So when Paramount Plus announced they were taking over the rights to A-League men's and women's, they promptly went to work re-signing everyone involved with the previous calling of football in the country, except Robbie Slater. To this day, the man who rode on the cocktails of Alan Shearer for one season and of Simon Hill for his entire commentary career was the only ex-Fox Sports football FC commentators who did not receive a contract offer with Paramount Plus. We can all agree that it should be kept that way, especially with this simply embarrassing attempt at explaining how the rules around goal line technology were. I mean, Dom, we all remember that that terrible attempt at halftime in the A-League final. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think my uh, my chuckle uh, sums up uh, Robbie Slater, who I've always really enjoyed, but uh, not too sure what went wrong when he uh, wanted to, when Paramount Plus uh, came calling, and uh, has kind of been left uh, a little bit in the dark now, which is uh, strange because he was uh, Fox Sports go-to guy, the uh, former Premier League winner. He was only ever Fox Sports go-to guy when he was working in tandem with Mark Bosnich because they were at least somewhat amusing. Yeah, with each other. <laughs> when when Mark Bosnich got also true. out, that was it. That was it. They were gone. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> our fifth and final nomination, Dom. Fifth and final nomination. Well, we couldn't uh, leave this one out, could we? It is, of course, our f- favourite alcoholic, Phil Buzz Rothfield. Um, the second dishonourable mention will be his uh, stablemate, Paul Kent. But I don't mind Paul Kent. He kind of speaks facts. Uh, Buzz just chimes in and steals things from other people including a certain um including a certain at large sports presenter on triple h well yeah at large i mean he's very much at large very incognito um i would say that once again rothfield has been just a not a fan to listen to bored of his opinion as uh, we like to say in the business, a bit of a dinosaur, hoping soon that the Telegraph replace him with somebody who has some sort of pedigree. Someone that's not Ray Hadley in that mind either. So, um, well, ladies and gentlemen, five great nominations there, two great honor- dishonorable mentions, but there can only be one winner here. Could have been nominated for another award, but we've given it to him the Danny Weiler Award for Worst Sports Journalist or Commentator, and he's taken it from his own stablemate. It is Michael J. Slater, and I hope the uh, yeah. and I hope the people at the Northern District Green Shield team is not listening to this right now. <laughs> Ariane Shah, award number seven. This one's a bit of fun here because we know that his relationship with Triple H Sports is not that great either. Yes, yeah, so this is the Paul Langmack Award for worst coach or manager. It's our second last award of the night, and it takes a as a very special award in honor of arguably the worst coach in our history. In Paul Langmack. It takes a special kind of coach to show that. Sometimes, just sometimes, it isn't player arrogance that destroys a team, but the coach and manager's inability to bring a team together that stinks the joiner. This list is an absolute beauty, so let's get into it. And the first and, nomination. And the first one is Trent Barrett, the new country Bankstown Bulldogs coach. And they were already looking into the abyss after Dean Pay was forced to call time on his tenureship with the club he loves. 
The Bulldogs then went and picked up Trent Barrett, who failed spectacularly at Manly. Expected him to learn his lesson from last time and turn the corner. Instead, what they got was the worst performance of the year, a disgraced outcome and a coach that further lost what little positive reputation he has. Barrett was a quality player for St. George Illawarra, but his ability as a coach is nowhere to be seen. I mean, how many lives does Trent Barrett need, Dom? He hasn't got many if this uh, new team in 2022 and 2023 uh, doesn't kick on, which I still have my reservations over. He took a poison chalice. I think that's my one reprieve for him uh, in this role. But uh, having known a few people around Trent Barrett who are close to him or have played under him recently, it also doesn't come across as a particularly genuine person either. So in the way he's kind of, I think, kind of treated the likes of Nick Kotrick and Kyle Flanagan, uh, kind of just played, put the blame on, on the players rather than himself for, at his time at the dog so far, I think it kind of strikes me as a, as a, a, a little bit selfish. And I think once again, this year proved that with the team that wasn't really that bad on paper, he should have been doing a lot better. Nomination number two, Dom. Nomination number two, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, the legend at Manchester United, failed during his managing stint at uh, Cardiff City before a successful return to Norway, then came back to take over the Manchester United job. Look, he had some very, very good victories, but ultimately never really got the team kicking and spent a lot of money in getting the team up to standard. And look, you could argue that potentially the signing of Ronaldo wasn't what he wanted, but it should have made the team better. It's made them worse this year. Struggled to get, you know, arguably the most successful team up there. I, I think he's hard done by being on this list because um, he has done some good things, but with the team that he had, they should have been doing a lot better. And Ariane, I, I think the mistake here from, from Solskjaer is not in terms of the strategy behind him because he is actually a very handy manager. It's he lacks authority with this team. Yeah, in order to be a good coach, you need to be really strong in the kind of values and boundaries and performance culture you want to set. If you can't do that you're not gonna unite a team together and make them not only play for you but well let's go on to nomination number three and this one's an absolute beauty from the u.s ariane this is urban mayor and you don't expect someone to take a club from being cellar dwellers to winning premierships in a couple of years likewise you don't expect a manager to take a club from being championship winners to the bottom. When you take a championship winning coach to a struggling team, you expect an improvement. Maybe not straight away, but you expect an improvement that didn't happen with Evan Mayer at the Jacksonville Jaguars. who spoke about wanting to see the Jaguars get back to grinding football. But only grinding, the only grinding he did was with a female half his age during the bye round behind his wife's back. The Jaguars have now only won three games in the last two years, and my looks like he'll be marched out of Jacksonville in a heartbeat. I think, Dom, this has already happened, hasn't it? He has. He has been sacked. He was sacked this week after, I believe, what, a, a one and a one, a one win? I think it had one win? Yeah. Uh, this year so far? Continuously uh, awful every year, but, yeah, Urban Myers once again... Sacked. It was all. It was going to be predicted to happen at some point, and it happened. I think right on cue in the end. <laughs> Lasted a season after coming across, and everyone kind of flagged it as a strange pickup on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, everyone was proven correct. I'm surprised he didn't get sacked after the bye week. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> Good. you know, I suppose the team was so bad that they didn't really have any um, 
other choices. Number four, and this is an interesting one here, Dom. Well, look, we got a, a mention earlier when we uh, named the Belgian national team as uh, one of the chokes of the year. Well, look no further where some of the blame could fall, where that is at the feet of their manager, Roberto Martinez. Now, Roberto Martinez is a good manager and has had some good stints at some clubs, uh, most famously winning the FA Cup with Wigan, the year that they got relegated, then had a decent, okay stint at Everton, but never really took off. Went to take on the role as the Belgian national head coach, but with this golden generation has really done nothing, and they haven't really gotten all that close either. I think a lot of it falls sort of on the way that they play and the way that they set up, and that's on him. He makes the final decisions, and perhaps if I think if I was the Belgian football team, I think they'd go back and maybe choose their manager again. And they've got absolutely nothing to show for it. Nothing. Number The fifth and final nomination, Ariane, right up your alley, this one. Yeah, and with Collingwood, you usually would associate any sort of bad news with Eddie McGuire. While he is involved here indirectly, he's not the prime suspect. And here the main subject is Nathan Buckley. So we mentioned Eddie McGuire's comments regarding the culture review into Collingwood earlier, just how inappropriate, paradoxical, etc. they were. But that uh, the performances on the field from Collingwood probably go more down the alley of Nathan Buckley. In an era where athleticism reigned supreme, the Magpies had one of the worst attacks in the competition and were often left found wanting uh, wanting when teams managed to engage in open play AFL. Buckley showed his inability to get with the times. His performances really did show. That is important for a manager to ensure they stay up to speed with where a game goes. For someone of his age to miss that, it's inexcusable. And he's been Collingwood coach for a very long time. Quite successful. Won a premiership. They had the team. They didn't have a vastly different team from the years gone by that have done decently well. But I just think everything off-field, they couldn't keep that noise out and it really kind of showed when they went out to play. Well, the second biggest award of the night. It's a tough one, this one. Five great nominations here. But there can only be one winner the honourable mention, the second place, would go to Urban Meyer for the shenanigans he got up to in Jacksonville. But the winner for mine goes to a man who everyone would have thought would have learned his lesson after his previous falling out with a previous NRL club. And he's shown that he's learned absolutely nothing. Trent Barrett, you are the inaugural winner of the Paul Langmack Award for the worst coach or manager. And Dom, I think rightfully so. Great. Hear, hear. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, it has come to that time of the evening where we announce the inaugural Triple H Sports Wood Duck. This goes to an individual and a sport and a team whose performance was so diabolical that it raises questions about whether they should have been involved within sports in the first place. As we said, one individual, one team. Dom Rizzuto, let's get things started. Who are? Let's start off with our first nomination for a Wood Duck. Well, look, first one uh, off the bat, we're going to F1. And we are going to uh, young driver Nikita Mazepin, or Mazepan, however you want to pronounce it. An award no, already. No, 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 no. no, no. Mazespin. Mazespin. That's another good one, too. <laughs> um, uh, would uh, 
probably rate in our honourable mentions for all of these awards, but uh, if you put them all down together, you get a good sum of parts that stake him to high water. Uh, we have well and truly um, awful paid drivers moving Formula 1, but never ever seen a driver to be accused of sexual harassment, push drivers off the track during free practice, earn the eye of every other driver in Formula 1, spin out in the first race of the season at corner at the third corner, and throughout all of this, feel like he can get away with anything because his dad bought his seat. Oh, don't you love a bit of daddy's cash? I like I mean, a bit of daddy's cash. Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest with you, I don't blame him, really. I think sometimes it falls at the the, the, the feet of the tree, you know, the roots of the tree. Indeed, indeed it does. Nomination number two, Ariane. Yes, the next one is Tyron May. Tyron May experienced the best and worst, but the worst far out stripped the best and it threatened to drag everyone down with him. May did win a premiership with the Penrith Panthers. Then at his contract torn up, after he referred to the convictions recorded against him. Four counts of intentionally recording an image without consent, should he learn nothing from the ordeal and continue to make a mockery of the NRL's attempts to clean up the image that it has with players' conduct towards women. This bloke is the most deplorable human on the planet. Honestly, like, the most deplorable human on the planet. I mean, first and foremost, he won a premiership because he was Nathan Cleary's best mate. He shouldn't even been in this team. He wasn't even. He shouldn't have even been in the top thirty. He's a New South Wales Cup player at best. In all the games that he came in to fill in for Cleary, they lost and lost by quite big margins. It really isn't up to NRL standard. Now you can forgive that because that's not within his own power. Well, you you can't forgive really. And you know what? You could forgive the stupidness that was inexplicably taking photos and then releasing them online whilst you're in a, the act of of having of intercourse. What you can't forgive, however, is then playing the victim on social media about how people have been coming at you and that you will rise above it. I mean, the people and all the former players and current players who commented on that are as irreputable as themselves, as much as he is. But the fact is he's been nominated on this list and they're not, uh, was just staggering. But he thought that it was a good, a good idea to do that, which for mine puts him right up there for a winner of this uh, top award this year. And by God, I hope we don't see him anytime soon. Well, it's funny you should mention in terms of deplorable humans this year, because the next nomination in your eyes, Dom, would be right up there as well. Oh, 100%. This next person um, who we already uh, gave an award to, He's getting a mention again. It is, of course, my favourite, Liz Cambage, as I like to call her, Liz Cabbage, Australia's most controversial basketballer. Sunk to new depths when she pulled out of the Australian Olympics campaign, citing mental health issues. And that was one of the things as well. Like She clearly didn't have mental health issues. She was clearly fine. And she just used it as an excuse to... to act like an asshole. Through assault in the wounds, uh, she managed to pull out of Basketball Australia offside by suggesting that they were racist by not backing her up. Then we watched the Opals performance at the Olympics without her. We were thinking that, to be honest with you, it was better for her not being there because she's just so poisonous. Couldn't agree more. We then get into the first of our team nominations, Ariane. Yeah, so this is a Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. One of the worst returns, returns for a team, finishing with points. that uh, became the second worst team ever in the modern era, beaten only, or beating only, been only by the Newcastle Knights of 2016. As a comparison, the 2016 Newcastle Knights scored one win and one draw, scored 305 points, and conceded 800. 
the Bulldogs recorded three wins, scored 340 points, and conceded 710. The Bulldogs' defense was only the third worst in the competition. Yes, the West Tigers and North Queensland were worse, but their attack was disgraceful. It absolutely was. It was the worst attack in the competition, Dom. And it and it, it, boggle, it boggles the mind, in particular, that you've got an attacking head coach in Trent yes. Barrett who can't teach them how to attack. <laughs> exactly right. It's what made no sense. Everyone thought that the dogs were going to be really good in attack and that Penrith wouldn't be good in attack because Trent Barrett was going over. But in actual fact, they just forgot how to do it all together. And, uh, you know, he chopped and changed the team and the spine in particular a trillion times trying to find the right combination. Could never get it right. And I don't know the signings that they're bringing in this year are going to fix that problem, to be honest with you. And uh, I think they're going to concede more points this year. And I think they're not going to score as many. Well, let's go to our next nomination. Yes, we move down to the uh, Buffalo Sabres, a team that uh, not too many of our listeners will um, be too familiar with. Um, But it was returned to the bad old days for the Sabres in tank job. Uh, this time, they weren't even trying. The NHL Whipping Boys produced the worst return of all time, picking up only 37 points and 15 wins, and showing why there is a case for this club to be defranchised from the competition. It uh, has become simply embarrassing as to how bad they have become. Can they get any worse? Well, we thought that last time, but Buffalo found new grounds in 2021. Absolutely. absolutely. Buffalo save is absolutely terrible. Last time when they went this badly, at least we all knew it was a tank job. This time they weren't even trying and they ended up going even worse. It shows you what kind of state they're in. Ariane, our next nomination, we go to cricket this time. Yeah, so this is a Melbourne renegade. It's one thing to completely stink up the joint in one competition. When your franchise stinks it up in two competitions in a row, makes it that much worse. The Melbourne Renegades women's had a truly awful season, finishing with just four wins and 10 points in total, were only saved from complete embarrassing uh, embarrassment by winning three of their last five matches. But then got worse for the franchise when the men's squad then produced the second worst return of any team in BBL history, recording only four wins from their 14 games, including a seven-match losing streak. This really speaks to a horrendous situation within the Renegades, and there may be a complete overhaul on the cards. Now, they have called this now the Dan Christian curse because they have failed to win more than 25% of their matches since Since he he left left the club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like they've forgotten how to win. Dom Rizzuto, the second last nomination. We return to football, and this is one is absolutely juicy. This is by far the strangest capitulation of all time, in my personal opinion. The mighty fall of Sharko 4. Uh, it's very, fine, very rare to find a major club getting relegated. We've seen in the Premier League a few times, Aston Villa, Newcastle, uh, to name a few. Uh, but what's more rare about uh, the major club... You forgot Sunderland. They're a massive no, no, I wouldn't say they were. I wouldn't say they were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this was inexplicable um, for a side like Schalke to finish where they did. Uh, they went within a whisker of breaking the record for the worst team in Bundesliga history, which is held by Tasmania Berlin. Picked up two wins and eight points in total. In today's system, that would have been worth 10 points. Schalke went within one match of equalizing, equally. Tasmania's other record of 31 matches without a win, beating Hoffenheim 4-0 on the day to at least 
not have that record next to their name. To compound the situation further, the club has announced two million, two hundred million euros in debt, and could be on the verge of bankruptcy. There are some dark time aheads for what was arguably Germany's second best team only five or six years ago. Oh, this and this is the tragedy of it all. Like this, this goes beyond what happened with Leeds United in the two thousands. Agreed. Yep, another team. Yeah, absolutely. Our last nomination for the Wood Ducks, Ariane Tio. Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jacksonville Jaguars became the fourth team in NFL history and the second since the 16-game expansion to win their season opener and then go on to lose every other game, a feat that hasn't been achieved since the 2001 Carolina Panthers and tied with the Panthers for the second-worst performance in the NFL season. Since the 16-game expansion, only beaten by the 2008 Detroit Lions, who who are the only non-expansion club to have gone winless in a season. The amazing thing with this performance, haven't had the worst attack. New York Jets scored 63 fewer points, or the worst defense. Detroit Lions conceded 27 more points. But the combination of both showed how bad they truly were as a unit, finishing with a Lose fifth with a fifteen game losing streak. That's really not great. I mean, th- and and to think that they went through that performance in the season that finished at the start of this year, and they backed it up this year again, Dom, with only winning one extra game. <laughs> yeah, they they've been really bad. Uh, and I feel for for Trevor Lawrence at uh, at the Jaguars, the number one draft pick this year for them. He's a talented football player, but he is stuck behind an atrociously bad football team and another team that you would think, I don't know why they're even in the competition these days. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce the Wood Ducks for 2021. First off, we're going to award to the individuals, and we've got three great nominations in Nikita Mazepin, Tyrone May, and Liz Cambage. Liz Cambage came very close to winning this one. But for completely despicable behaviour, already been charged, already been found guilty of it, and then to cry foul about it, Tyrone May, hang your head in shame. You are the winner of our individual's Wood Duck for 2021. On the team performance, well, there's plenty of nominations there. For mine, I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars went very close to winning this one, as did the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. But to see a club disintegrate the way it has over the last five years to the point now where they have been relegated to two Bundesliga. They finished second five years ago. They even went within a whisker of winning the Champions League in that same year. Schalke 04 are the Team Wood Ducks for 2021. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the end of part one of our awards for 2021. The Wood Ducks themselves, they've been an absolutely roaring success. Well, a success compared, I guess, to all the nominations that we've had during the course of tonight. And I want to thank our special guests. First off, Ariane Shah, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for joining us for year 2021. Thanks again. It was a wild ride and great fun. Dom Rizzuto, wow, we made it. We made it. I don't know how we survived another year of... Nothingness, emptiness by being able to cover sport for you. And uh, this won't be the last one you hear before the end of the year. We've still got a few uh, more awards to come on the other side of the coin um, a little later. Uh, 
for you. But so stay tuned for that. But uh, hopefully, uh, this uh, one today has put a smile to your face and uh, a little bit of uh, joy ahead of Christmas. Oh, we can only, we can only hope, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you tune in next week when we will have. The flip side, we are going to be calling them the Splinter's Golden H's. How about that, Dom? The Golden H's. I like it. Yep, absolutely. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will bid you good night. This has been Splinter's The Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn, and all good podcast sites. Of course, we do it all for Atlas Chartered Accountants, the HK Post, the Hornsby RSL and ISC Sports. On behalf of Ariane Shah and Dom Rizzuto, I'm Anthony Caruso. Run hard or run home. Good night. Thank you for joining us for Splinters, your no-holds-barred sports podcast. You can also find us streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcasts.com and all good podcast and streaming sites.